Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 28th of June, 2013, and today we are reading from the big book, and we are in the chapter more about alcoholism. And we are on page 36, and we are going to start with the first two paragraphs on page 36 today. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 27th of June, is 4706. 4706. And today's readers are, uh, whoop, I'm ahead of myself. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no positions on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, Monica. This is Marge from Massachusetts, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, saw through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa to read the Twelve Traditions, please. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my beloved fellows. This is Lisa from South Jersey. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. 
personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and comment on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your commenting to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for commenting on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 36, and we are going to start with the first two paragraphs. And I will ask Kim to please begin reading. Thanks, Monica. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. 
On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar for I've been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still, no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. They were a whiskey and poured it into my milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being too smart, but I felt reassured I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we're getting to that squiggly writing. That means it's really important. In the next last paragraph, my favorite one is how he's going out to a restaurant thinking he's going to have a prospect to sell a car to. And maybe it's different in different parts of the country, but I have never in New Jersey been in a restaurant where someone had said, excuse me, I know you're eating, but would you like to buy a car? You know, he's using every form of self-deception and experimentation to say why he should be there. I mean, how many times have I been in an OA meeting and someone is crying that they cannot get out of the food as they're sitting at the table with a Dunkin' Donuts coffee mug? Why are you going into a Dunkin' Donuts to get your coffee if you can't get out of the food? Why is he going into a bar to have lunch? So all these things, this suddenly, how suddenly is it when you think of all the decisions that Jim is making prior to putting the whiskey in the milk? You know, I vaguely sensed I was not being too smart, but felt reassured I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. I vaguely sensed I wasn't being too smart, but after all, my, this is an organic form of my binge food. This is a diet form of my binge food. It's sugar-free, it's gluten-free, it's fat-free. Those are the rationalizations we're going to use to say, I can get away with this. It's just a little bit of whiskey in the milk. It's really not that big. The experiment went so well. And what are we told in there's a solution? By every form of experimentation and self-deception, we will try to prove that we are like other people. But the experiment went so that I ordered another whiskey. You know, I remember being out at a wedding or bridal shower, baby shower, something where I decided just to have one. Just to have one. And the experiment swims so well, but on the way home, I would stop off at a convenience store and buy more or something different. You know, I used to exercise for hours and hours, and I would think, oh, this experiment went so well. I'm getting this this workout. I'd put in an extra 20, 30 minutes, and this one gym was perfect. I had a pizza place right next to the the gym. I think two of them increased each other's business because you'd eat pizza and you'd go work it off at the gym or you'd be at the gym and you'd feel like you could justify the pizza. And for normal folks, that works. But for me, I would get out of that gym and I would smell that pizza and I would go in just for a slice, just for a slice. But you know what? It was cheaper to buy the eight slices, cheaper to buy the pie, and the experiment went so well that I would be home binging my brains out. But think about it. How suddenly is this? Think of all the decisions and all the rationalizations and all the experimentations 
that we do to prove that this time, this time will be different. So what do we have to do? We say in this meeting so many times, all action is born in thought. We have to get something to come between the thought and the action. And by working these steps, we will get a relationship with God that will get between the thought and the action. So suddenly, will become suddenly will not have to happen. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone like to comment on these two yes. paragraphs? Penny E. Amy. I heard Penny. Wait, Penny C. Irini. And we'll start with you two, because I forgot the other names. (laughs) Go ahead, Penny. Thank you. Good morning, good morning. My name is Penny E., a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And actually, I want to say God morning. God morning, everybody. Um, You know, we learned on this this line, every time we hear the word but, we have to be careful, because everything that comes after it kind of like erases what came before it. Well, we also have to be really careful of the word I, 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 I. And these two paragraphs, I think they have uh, 11 million I's in it, and I'll do my I, 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 It's dangerous. It's dangerous. I had to be a salesman. I once owned. I had a few words. I decided. I stopped. I also. I would. I had. I had eaten. I ordered. I vaguely. I was. I ordered. Where's God? Where's God? I mean, this is exaggerated with all these eyes. No sense of God whatsoever. And uh, he's in a dangerous territory, you know, going into a bar for lunch. He said he'd, he'd, he'd done that many times prior to this. He was okay. Maybe he was closer to God. I don't know. But one thing we know, we have to strive to be close to God 24-7, and um, especially when we're in a, in a dangerous neighborhood. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you for letting me sing. And have a God-filled day, everybody. God bless. Thank you, Penny E. Irini, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So here is where we see powerlessness. Um, here is where, you know, we see, we, we see the twisted mind in action. Here is where we see that knowledge means nothing without action. This is where he is feeding his emotions of feeling irritable. He's, he's, feel, he's feeding his wants and his ego and not doing the right thing. He is feeding the bad wolf that is getting bigger and stronger. And then the good wolf is getting weaker and skinnier and closer to the ground. This is where he's believing in his lies and acts on his old behaviors. This is the insanity doing the same thing over and over again in a different way and still expecting different results. Until he gets out of that dance of one, two, and three, steps one, two, and three, and continues to work the steps and has a spiritual awakening, his way of behavior will never, ever, ever change. He needed to access a power greater than himself in order to be saved, but but all he had was his own power, and look where that got him. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. And Amy, are you there? Uh, This is Amy. Go ahead, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. 
Well, again, yes, I always like to say when it's in italics, boy, they want to put something, you know, they want to bring something to your attention. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. Again, we've talked over and over about this mental twist, this mental obsession, the greater aspect of our disease, and that our mind, we have no mental defense. I mean, it says it here in the big book. Once more, just like Jim, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. For us, the first bite. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a mental defense. His defense must come from a higher power. And Jim, who has failed, if we review his story earlier, he has failed to enlarge his spiritual life. He has only made a beginning. You know, he'd been getting drunk several months in a row. He realized, he knew that he didn't want to have it happen again. He started working the steps. He knew there'd be another trip to the asylum. He knew that he would lose his family again. And yet here he is. His mind is not only... Um, doesn't work correctly when it comes to food, it works against him, to the, even to the point where it is assisting him in creating insane ideas and reasons to pick up that first bite. But let's take a look at this. I've heard this in rooms, in the rooms all for many, many years, that the first bite is not the beginning of the binge. This is the mental obsession at work. He had started going with the restless, irritable discontent Oh, I had a few words with the boss. No big deal. Oh, well, is that rationalization or what? This is a place that he uh, used to own and is now working for. Could there be some resentment there? Restless, irritable, discontent, selfish, self-centered. I mean, you have me to a T. This is the way I was before program. Looking for any way, any excuse, any rationalization to find myself be able, being able to rationalize picking up that first bite or having no reason whatsoever. And that's what Jim did. And then goes, we, we, we find out there goes another trip, another trip to the asylum because even though he knew what he knew and had been even made a beginning, there was no spiritual enhancement, enlargement. The rest of the steps, four through ten, had not been approached or worked. He put himself in a very dangerous area. I mean, he'd been going there for years, so my guess is he'd been drinking there for years. He may have gone there a few times when he initially worked the program, but he certainly put himself, as others said, in a dangerous neighborhood. But it all seemed logical. And what's amazing is that we can look at this, and if you're not an alcoholic, you could probably look at that and say, gosh, that's just crazy. Why would he do that? Because you're saying, or I'm saying, when it comes to thinking about alcohol, but when it comes to food as a compulsive overeater, we think, oh, well, it seemed reasonable to me. And here he is taking another trip to the asylum. Without a higher power, without this program, without these 12 steps, we cannot compete against this disease. I can't fight my mind with my mind. I must surrender to this program and something that will work because I can't do it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Leah. Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Very exciting stuff this morning that we're studying. Uh, Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. (laughs) 
<laughs> Here we go. Uh, chapter three, more about alcoholism. It's uh, most of chapter three is going to be devoted to examples of people who believed a lie that they could safely drink. Uh, and of course, you believe this lie before you take that first drink. You know, it's the lie that convinces them to take a drink in the first place. And then the allergy takes over, and then they can't stop. So their problems didn't start after they took a drink. Their trouble is beginning. Jim's trouble is beginning when he believed and acted on a lie while he was sober. So here we go. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. That's the lie. Uh, he's going to believe that lie, and he's going to make a decision on that lie to act on that lie. So I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sense I wasn't being any too smart. Again, you know, it reminds me of step two. What does step two say? Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So this is the insanity that the big book is talking about, this insanity of the mind. It's not the insanity once we've picked up and, you know, have finished off that cellophane bag in the bakery box and are lying on the couch in a, in a sugar stupor. The insanity is that first bite. And that is all because of this mental obsession, this strange, peculiar way of thinking about food that is different from normal people, and every single time, that mental twist is going to win out. Every single time. It's an idea that over overcomes all ideas to the contrary. He thinks that uh, having whiskey on a full stomach isn't going to hurt him. That's his idea. That's his great idea. And that idea overcomes all ideas to the contrary, such as, I've already lost my business because of my drinking. Or, I'm going to lose my family because of my drinking. I'm going to end up in uh, you know, the hospital again, which he does. So this idea that whiskey and milk isn't going to hurt him overcomes all ideas to the contrary, and it doesn't make any difference how badly Jim wants to stop drinking. It doesn't really make any difference how hard Jim uses his willpower, because this obsession of the mind is going to tell him, as it does, that it's okay to take that first drink, and believing that this time it's going to be different. That's what Jim believes. This time it's going to be different. He takes the drink, and then, of course, that drink triggers the physical allergy, triggers the phenomenon of craving, and he ends up drunk, and suddenly Jim finds his way in the insane asylum. And I relate to that. You know, the big book tells me I have a problem with my mind and that it is my main problem. Because when I was like Jim, and when I finally said, you know what, I've had enough of this stuff. I'm not going to binge my brains out anymore at night. I'm not going to sit in a car in a dark parking lot and finish off three pints of ice cream. I'm going to put my foot down and no more. I'm through. That's the end. I'm never going to binge again. I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to live happy, joyous, and free forever. Everybody's going to be happy now with me. All of a sudden, I would change my mind. And having that first compulsive bite seemed like the best idea I had had in a long time. And of course, I would take that bite, and I'm in all the pain and misery I just <laughs> had wanted to escape from. And you know what? It got so bad for me that I ended up calling a place called Overeaters Anonymous. That's how bad it got. And that's why we need the steps, 
Because what the steps do are take away the mental obsession and substitute for that mental obsession a spiritual awakening. And as a result of the guidance of these steps, I'm happy to announce that I have not changed my mind about that first compulsive bite since January 19, 1987. And that's a miracle. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Let's move on to the next and see the rest of this story. And Karen, would you read, please? Yes, good morning, Monica. This is Karen. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Let's see. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, to say nothing of intense mental and physical suffering, which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. Yet all the reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. And um, I would like to also talk about that obsession of the mind because that really was my biggest problem. And I remember when I was, I lost all this weight in this diet club and we were taking this trip that we planned for a long time and we were going to Copenhagen. My husband planned this trip for me. And then on the, on the airplane, I just thought of this, I might have one, one piece of this dessert and it led to more, and it led to more. And then we get to Copenhagen, which is morning, and they have this big buffet brunch, breakfast, and I just went crazy. So that obsession of the mind told me the delusion. Here was the delusions. Delusion one, I was deluded regarding the excuse I made for binging. Just every, that, that excuse, it just was re, a deluded excuse. And then I was deluded regarding the satisfaction I was going to find in that dessert. It didn't satisfy to what I expected it to. And number three, I was deluded regarding the probability of escaping the consequences. They always got me. I never got away with it. So that's why working these steps, I stay and I remember I don't want to go there. And that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Katie? Katie, go ahead. Katie, I share? Good morning. Okay, this is Katie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, and I remember um, someone telling me, I wasn't even abstinent, but they told me this, that they, um, you know, we always talk about, or in some meetings they talk about sugar being the fifth ingredient. As long as it's the fifth ingredient, then you can have it, you know. So they had this idea that um, dessert, the cheesecake, was the fifth ingredient of their meal. They had a roll, they had a potato, they had a protein, they had a vegetable. So number five, dessert, so I can have that. And, you know, of course it didn't work. I mean, they, didn't, they weren't able to keep the food down with that theory. Um, but that's, that's the difference here, is that my mind had to stop conniving and weaseling and trying to make it my way. I had to surrender to what other people were telling me to do. And that's 
what is missing here. If he's not talking about what's going on with himself while it's going on. And I was a master at that. I would be uh, binging while I was on the phone, talking to people, crying about my miserable life, and I'm sitting there eating a box of crackers, putting butter on each cracker. You know, I, uh, I just wasn't willing to surrender while I was in the middle of my misery. And, you know, God is missing, and, you know, God doesn't come down and tap me on the shoulder and sit next to me at the restaurant while I'm debating whether to eat dessert or not. But God speaks to me through my network of people and my friends um, in this program who are walking ahead of me and beside me and maybe behind me in time, but in um, experience, they are just, are there to remind me of who and what I am and that, no, I don't have to go back there. I don't have to go back to that miserable life. Um, This insane thinking, you know, as Leah said, it it ended. It ended for me on October 7, 1987, when I, that pause became my pause of asking for help and asking God what is the next right thought or action and usually... It's just get dressed, go to work, make your lunch, plan your food, finish this, do that. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about next month. Don't worry about Christmas. Don't worry about everything under the sun. Just do the next right thing. And, you know, Jim is all over the place. He's resentful. He's, you know, making up reasons why he needs to be in this bar. And, you know, all of those thoughts would be smashed if he presented them to another recovered person and said, what do you think, Bill? What do you think I should do? Do you think I should try this experiment? No. And, you know, it's not brain surgery that we're doing here, but it is brain surgery because our mind changes. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Rose? Rose. Go ahead, Rose. Thank you, Monica. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, on the previous page, it it started talking about Jim, (coughs) that he had stopped, um, he had failed to enlarge his spiritual life, and um, that would mean he wasn't working the steps. And on this uh, last paragraph, in the italics, he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, Yet all reasons for drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. And as we were reading this, I was put back um, to uh, 2009 uh, prior to my getting a recovery through the steps here. And um, I was working, quote, working with a sponsor, not working the steps. And um, my food plan included having four ounces of chicken, which was 200 calories. And I came across a calorie book that said, they all vary, which I well knew, that a half of a chicken was 200 calories. So the thought crossed my mind, hey, what is this? 
Um, so I started eating the half a chicken without saying a word. And the without saying the word part is where I identify in with Jim in a hundred ways. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to be honest and say to my sponsor, hey, this calorie book says I can have half a chicken for 200 calories. Why should I eat just a measly four ounces of chicken? And I did that for a number of weeks. And finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. And I did what I had done for years, which was lying and cheating, and told my sponsor, and I... And it stands out in my own mind. I wasn't working the steps then. But the level of insanity, of course, it kept me in the food up until I finally hit a bottom and finally came to believe that a power greater than myself, which was God, who wasn't me, could restore me to sanity. And that is when the program started working. Thank you, Monica. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Irini. This is oh. I heard Irini and Paula. Is that you? <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Irini and then Paula. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, my spiritual fellows. My name is Irini, a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. Well, I had a lot of knowledge about me being a compulsive overeater. I knew I was a compulsive overeater. I knew that I was powerless. I knew that I was a prisoner of the food. And I certainly knew and felt being a prisoner of my old thoughts. I knew all of this. But I also knew that I had God in my life. I went to church. My mother prayed dearly in front of our icons at home. I had the gift of God from a very young age. And yet, and yet, I was still a prisoner. That's because I was carrying the gift of God with me from a very young age. I was carrying it instead of unwrapping it and using it until I had to be taken, I had to be taught. I had to be taken through the journey of the steps to learn how to use this gift from God. I needed to be taught how to untie the bow and unwrap the gift and open the present and reach in there and, and take out the gift from God and use it. And I needed to take action and to live the steps in order for me to have this spiritual awakening. I had to act upon it. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Edini. Paula, go ahead, please. Star one to unmute, Paula. Thank you, Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, it started with suddenly the thought crossed my mind. You know, if it just crossed my mind, there wouldn't be a problem. But it stayed there. It stayed there. And then all other reasons, this is where the insanity is, it grew. Well, but this one here, and I'm going to come to 
bottom of this was scoot on down. He had much knowledge about himself. Well, we all know what Bill says about self-knowledge. Self-knowledge didn't do it. Didn't do it for me, didn't do it for Bill, and here we see it, didn't do it for Jim. But that part, yet for all reasons, for not drinking, were easily pushed aside. Now, it was said again, easily. It wasn't even difficult. He didn't really have to work that hard at it. I mean, he positioned himself beautifully for it. Here I am, sitting in a bar. But this word, this is the one that always pushed me forward. Pushed me forward right into where I always wanted to go, you see. He didn't want to stop. If only, if only my life was better. If only this didn't happen. If only that didn't happen. That was the words. And there it is. If only he mixed it with milk. If only he mixed it with milk. They're the insanity, and they're the beginning, and it always the conclusion, no matter how it begins, may I ask. Happy, sad, glad, restless, irritable, discontent. The ending, always the same. That's insanity. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And this is Monica. I think I'll jump in here. And here we have another paragraph with the squiggly writing. And uh, any time we see that, it's a sign. Something very, very, very important here is being is being said to us. And this whole chapter, more about alcoholism, is trying to get us to see, to understand the mental obsession part of our disease the greater aspect of our disease, that our thinking is abnormal, is different from normal people. We are going to have different types of thoughts. And these thoughts always bring us to one more journey to the asylum. No matter how much we know, he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. You know, he understood all, you know, that he was an alcoholic, he shouldn't drink, and all of this stuff. Yet, all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea. You know? And this is where we are totally powerless. This foolish idea that we get, this abnormal thinking, is going to win every single time. Because I am totally powerless over this thinking. No matter how much I know, no matter how determined I am, no matter how much willpower I sick on it, I will not win against the crazy thought. And that is why I need a higher power. I need God here because he's greater than this. He is more powerful than my sick mind. And this is what they're trying to get across to us, that we have this abnormal thinking. And no matter what we think, you know, my best idea was, well, I'll just restart tomorrow. And what did that get me? You know, the pain, the agony, you know, the four horsemen the next morning. So we have to understand that we are powerless over this insane thinking we have sick minds when it comes to this one particular area we might be totally normal in all other areas of our life but when it comes to this there's something different there and we need god and how do i get them it's by doing the steps 
And with that, I will pass, and let's move on to the next paragraph. And Sharon, could you read that, please? This is Bella. Can I share? Uh, We are moving on to the next paragraph, please. Sharon? Star one to unmute. Karen L. Sharon? Good morning. Good morning, Sharon. Okay. Good morning, Monica. This is Sharon, and good morning to all. I'm grateful to be on the line this morning. And uh, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? I'd like to, this morning, focus on the word insanity. Insanity by Webster is defined as a severely disordered state of the mind, usually occurring as a specific disorder. Insanity. Insanity is a requirement for being a compulsive overeater. It's a requirement that we recognize our own insanity in order to recover. Step two says that we come, came to believe that a power greater than us can restore us to sanity. If we do not accept that we are insane, we cannot be restored to sanity. We need to recognize that we are insane when it comes to food. We are insane. We are not in our own, in, in a healthy, in a good place. We're disordered. And not just disordered, the definition said severely disordered, severely disordered in our thinking, in our mind, severely when it comes to food. So we don't have right thinking. I sat in the rooms for years and argued with the book about whether I was insane or not. I argued. And do you know that for those years, I was not abstinent. I could not keep abstinent because I was trying to do it with a severely disordered mind. I was trying to get abstinent. I was trying to get abstinent while not admitting that I was insane when it came to food. I didn't want to be, and so my severely disordered mind said I wasn't. My disorder, my severely disordered mind said that I could figure out how to get order out of this disorder. I thought I could figure out how to get this recovery that they talked about in the book through my own mind. And it wasn't until I finally admitted I threw up my hands and surrendered and said, I cannot do it. I cannot figure out how to get out of this mess that I'm in. I cannot figure it out on my own. 
I had to accept that my disordered mind could not figure out how to work the steps. First of all, because I couldn't even accept the very premises of step two, that I was insane when it came to food. And that I needed help from a power greater than myself. That my own self, my disordered mind couldn't accept that. And so I had to come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me, could restore me to sanity. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sally Nasher. Leah. Monica. Sally. Linda. Sally. Leah. Linda. Linda. Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, my fellow travelers. Well, again, I want to bring us back to suddenly. Poor Jim. I have to say it again this morning. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind. And I must say, none of us went back to the food suddenly. Jim had to have to order it. He had to order it. He had to take the moments to think about what he was about to do and then pour it into his milk. These things all took a few moments, very important moments, moments that every one of us has before we pick up. And then moving down to the bottom of that page, he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. And I want everyone to open their pages to page 62, the top, the end of the very top paragraph. Whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. That is the mindset that we see Jim sitting in. This, this gentleman who is sitting all alone, thinking. Selfishness, self-centeredness, driven by a hundred forms of fear. And then turn to page 68, my last page, I promise. And we see it again here. We reviewed our fears, and this man is riddled with fear about his life right now. We put them on paper even though we had no resentments in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? And, of course, the page goes on to talk about relying upon God. And finally, at the bottom paragraph, we never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. And that is the opposite of what is happening to poor Jim. Because he is not only having a pity party, but he, like many of us, is sitting and thinking about the fact that he's never good enough that his life has unraveled in his mind, not that he's on an upscale, but in fact, he doesn't feel that way. And that's what gets many of us in trouble. So he is looking at his life, selfishness and self-reliance, once again here we see, is causing him a lot of pain. And the answer to this, the answer to never good enough, 
is we never apologize for God. We Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear, our never good enough, our selfishness, and all the other things we carry on our back, the guilt, the shame, all the rest of it, and direct our attention to what he would have us be. And that is the solution that this man has yet to come to. His focus is on himself instead of his focus on what God is doing for him and in him thus far. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. Go ahead, Leah. Thanks so much, Monica. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. Uh, Definition of insanity is a mind that's less than whole. The inability to see the truth, to believe a reality that isn't true. I mean, that's exactly what's going on here, and that's exactly what the big book is teaching, and that's exactly what I didn't get for five years in this room uh, of Overeaters Anonymous, unfortunately, is that this is the greater aspect of my disease. This is the greater aspect of my disease. And until I understood this, and until someone knocked it into my head, I didn't get the urgency and the necessity of the steps. I mean, is Jim's real problem that he has a physical allergy to alcohol or that he has a form of insanity that tells him it's okay to mix alcohol with milk? The fact that he has an allergy to alcohol is of little importance here. What's important here is that he has an inability to see the truth. He is believing a reality that isn't true, and that reality is that, well, if he mixes a little... uh, whiskey into the milk it's not going to hurt him you know that is insane that's insane and that is the real issue the real problem is not the fact that uh after jim drinks he gets drunk and he urinates on himself and lies in a gutter and ends up in an insane asylum everybody wants to focus on those problems that alcoholism causes But that doesn't help you really understand alcoholism at its core. The same thing with compulsive overeating. Everybody wants to focus on the diabetes and the high blood pressure and the high cholesterol and all that. But that does not really help you understand the real issue with compulsive overeating. The real problem is even after all those medical consequences are described to us or even after uh, Jim realizes that he's got a threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, and all the mental, intense mental and physical suffering, even all after all of that is explained to Jim by the AA members. In excruciating detail, Jim still goes out and picks up that first drink. That's the insanity. That is the insanity, the utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Jim has the necessity. He's going to lose his family. He has the wish. He's already lost his business. He's going to end up in the hospital again. But despite that, he can't leave it alone. He cannot leave it alone because his own mental defense is not sufficient. That's why recovery needs to take place in our minds because the same person will drink again. If Jim is the same person, he will drink again, as we see. If I'm the same person, I'm going to eat again. So that's the real issue here. An alcoholic is not going to grasp the helping hand of AA, even if he believes that AA is a safe haven. 
unless he at first accepts his devastating powerlessness over alcohol. And it's the same thing with compulsive overeater. You may come to this line every day. You may love a vision for you, and you may have a great appreciation for what we study in the text. But unless we get to the point where we realize we are dying, by our, we're self-destructing by our own fists under the guise of, of a sense of ease and comfort, unless we understand that we are without defense against that first bite, we're going to keep going back. Because the same person will eat again. That's why we need the steps for a transformation of the mind. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Linda, go ahead, please. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, everybody. Wow, this is sensational material. Um, I know I had a hard time looking, let alone admitting, looking at the word insanity because it brought up uh, a vision, uh, a very naive vision, I suppose, of, you know, being, uh, hearing voices and, and uh, very erratic behavior and uh, things you'd see in the movies or very, you know, dramatized things. So it helped me. I bought it, but I, I, I couldn't somehow grasp it really until somehow, and I think it must have been the grace of God, it must have been, I realized that I could substitute the word self-destructive for insanity. It would be, for me, a form of insanity because when you look at nature, and I love animals and nature, when you look at a nature, uh, I don't know of any animal that self-destructs. They're, each animal is trying to preserve itself and it's young. So here I am eating my butt off and my life is going down the toilet. But it's okay, because that's how I comfort myself from the tremendous terror of being who I am, that I'm not good enough, and that not good enough could have killed me, except for the steps and God. And I have to plug into all of that in order to accept, uh, Irene said it, the gift. The gift through the steps is God's love. It's always there. It's inside. It's self-acceptance. It's, it's, such a be- it's more than that. It's such a beautiful thing to plug into love. When I was very little, that's what I was looking for in the candy box or whatever. I was looking for a safe harbor of love, and it's there. But I have to give up my kind of my binky. I don't mean it in an insulting way either. It's all I knew. And now through the steps, I'm learning the big binky is God, and that's the love. And I'll be taught, and all those ideas that I'm not good enough, they'll be trashed over time through the steps. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. And we have time for one, Sheila, one short share here. Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. Sheila from New York, compulsory either. Thank you this morning. I just want to say that for me, um, realizing the abandonment of a parent has created a lifetime of feeling not good enough. And you start, continually search for something to ease the pain of feeling not good enough. But thank God today I have the steps and the higher powers to tell me, yes, you are good enough. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sheila. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book, 
on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Hoodie, can you read a vision for you, please? Hi, good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, a recover compulsive overeater. Um, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trust the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And I 